Hi everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Isaac Bennett from Your Brand. Welcome, Isaac. Thank you, Rama. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. Sure. Thank you very much. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, would you share a little bit more about yourself, Isaac? No, no problem at all. So for uh, 16 years, I was in sales in a couple of different industries and in sales leadership for about the last 12 or so of those years. Um, with the most recent position being a vice president uh, position with a local manufacturing company. Um, so really, my background is in um, sales and deal making and just uh, managing dealerships around the world. Um, and about a year ago, my wife and I felt really compelled to step out of our uh, our full-time W-2s and spend more time working on the things that we were passionate about, including our our brand idea, which is where UR comes from. UR is our brand, that's a prefix, and the suffix is all of our agencies within it. So we have you are well, you are home, you are secure, and you are abundant, of which I think you are abundant is the focus for today. Got it. And thank you for sharing that. Uh, sure. Uh, would you share a little bit more about your abundant, how that works? Yeah. yeah, definitely, Rama. So we exist to really bring opportunity to people that they probably would not have themselves. So whether that's uh, the scope of a deal, the size, or maybe the geography or location of what we're doing, we're looking for durable assets, whether it's mobile home parks or maybe uh, irreplaceable property, real estate, vacation property. We've worked in some oil and gas, um, all sorts of things. Right now, we're actually working on helping a tech company uh, raise $20 million for their business. It's an extremely exciting robotics company that um, we think is going to tremendously impact our local area here. So we work in a, a variety of different ways, but the, the long and short of it is, is we're looking for great investments that are durable, have great cash flow, and we can help bring opportunities to investors that they wouldn't invest in themselves. So what is your process of selecting great investments? What kind of research and what kind of due diligence you would do on these, you know, different uh, kinds of investments? You're into like, you know, mobile home parks, island gas, tech sector, and real estate, all this stuff. But thank you for asking that. That's a really great question. It's something that we feel like we can give an edge to over, you know, the typical person that's working really hard in their day job. because. We spend all day sitting around looking at deals, and it, it, the more you look at, the more readily apparent a good deal comes from maybe a, a not as great one. Um, so we really separate our due diligence into two different sections. One section is the operator or the primary syndicator that we would be working with uh, if we're not operating the deal. We have operated many deals, but we also um, sometimes bring together our own groups to invest in deals. Um, so we have a, a, a 24-point checklist, due diligence checklist for operators. We have must-haves, like-to-haves, and love-to-haves in that, and it's separated kind of eight of each. Um, and, and really, they have to check all eight boxes in the must-have, and we're looking for you know at least six or eight of the like-to-haves, and the more love-to-haves, the better for the operator. And then we have a, um, a deal-specific checklist that is totally separate from the operator, which is 27 different criteria. Ranging all the way from, um, uh, you know, geographic location to 
projected IRR to uh, the durability of the asset, the expected income streams, you know, how the debt is structured, on and on it goes. And we, we actually don't publish the list that we use. It's, it's proprietary to our business. But um, we do feel like we have a, a rigorous due diligence uh, two-step process that helps us really just identify symbiotic thinkers and people of very high integrity and also just um, really uh, safe, durable investments for our for our investors and friends. And your your offerings are uh, securities, right? Finance 6, VR, Finance 6, C, right? Yeah. So typically, um, typically they're going to be 506 Cs. Um, we do really like the idea actually of doing 506 Bs as well to allow sophisticated but not accredited investors um, those are a little bit more difficult. They require more paperwork, more due diligence, a little bit more cost on the front end. But um, certainly we like the idea of including more folks uh, in our deals, sophisticated investors, not necessarily accredited. Um, but but typically, yeah, we're going to be looking at five or six Cs. Got it. What are your typical holding periods? What kind of returns you're offering? So is that something you can share here? Yeah, that, that I would say is extremely deal-specific, Rama. So we don't view selling as a business plan. I don't think that's investing. Um, I'm kind of from the Tony Deaton school of investing that says, you know, selling is an opportunity that the market gives you. It's not a business plan. We, we think that selling is speculation. And when we get into an investment, we want to think about holding it for good. And if it's something that we don't feel like we can hold for good, we feel like we're speculating on it. So we're really looking for durable assets. We look at them as businesses, whether they're in a real estate investment that we're investing in or a, maybe a business adult. We're looking at them as business over the long term. What is the durable um, you know, cash that will be created by that business rather than, hey, we think we can put some lipstick on this and sell it later. There's nothing wrong with that business plan. It's just very cyclical and market driven. And we think that if we underwrite and look at things from the perspective of, hey, we want to hold this for five generations, you know, what will happen with that business over five generations? And if a, if a business or a, an investment can pass that muster, we feel really good about it. Uh, got it. So what is your typical size of deals or investments? Yeah, wow, that's a great question because we, we range hugely. Um, we just went under contract, actually. I'm excited today on street, an entire street. It's about close to three acres in Belize that we will be um, – developing a boutique resort on. That's likely to be about a $20 million deal. And then, you know, we're raising um, $20 million in partnership with this uh, tech company that I was talking about. That's at a $200 million valuation. So so that's more of like a $200 million deal. And then we've got a multifamily deal that we're pretty close to under contract on. That's about a 30-ish million dollar deal. That's a tax credit. Um, so all in, it's about 30. We'll have about 21, 22 uh, as debt and equity in that one. Um, so really all over the board. And there's a number of other ones we could talk about. Some smaller ones for sure. Um, I just brought one investor to a small business that we're starting that we really, really like that. You know, we only raised 500000 at a $5 million valuation. So um, it's not all big swings. There's certainly smaller deals that we really like that we'll hand select a, a handful of investors to. But uh, yeah, we're really placing hand-selected investors into uh, specific deals that we know fit their criteria. And, and so it, it sometimes is big $200 million deals and other times small $5 million ones. Got it. So, and you mentioned you're working on $30 million, so tax credit related multifamily deal. So uh, share me a little bit more about that, how exactly the tax credit stuff works. Yeah, so these are historic tax credits. So these are both uh, state and 
federal tax credit uh, for this particular property that we're working on. And it's also in an opportunity zone, which I, I won't go into for today because it's a little more complex and we're actually not not currently utilizing that section of the tax code for this deal. But what, what we're going to do is we're going to recognize 45% between the two of them tax credit. Now that's, that's cash back. And the state ones and the federal ones have different return periods. So you have to understand those rules really well. But we get 45% of our qualified expenditures back. Now, we can't recognize that it's close to $10 million that will be in tax credits. Our firm itself is not big enough to recognize a $10 million tax credit. So what you actually do is you go out and sell these to a big corporation. So my advice to anyone listening is, is don't try to do this yourself. You should get a, a firm, a legal firm that specializes in historic tax credits. And there's some, there's some good ones out there that actually does all the all the organizing and brings the tax credit investor to it. So then of that $10 million, just using round numbers, we'll recognize about 80 or 81% of that. So say we'll recognize about $8 million of credit to our uh, to our investment based on uh, the tax credit. What's neat about it is those credits, if you have a good lending partner, those credits can work as the equity in the deal. So you may not have to bring too much cash to a deal, or if any, at all. And those are the deals we like to set up, deals where we have very little cash in it and very advantaged terms and, and really the government's bringing the equity on those deals. And it's a really neat project um, as well. So we're not under contract yet. We're very, very close to being under contract. So I can't give any more real specific details about it. But, you know, we love this type of deal for our investor. Okay. So in general, like these kind of tax credit related deals, is there any restrictions from like holding period or anything else? Yeah, there are some restrictions and you should get very familiar with those in general. And this is not hard and fast, but in general, yeah. uh, you're going to need to hold for five years. Um, and it, 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 it's not a rule, but it is. Um, one of the credits, uh, you recognize that uh, the, um, you recognize the investment, the credit over five years. So you actually get 20% per year, every year for five years. So then you maximize it at five. So generally, when you're bringing in an investor, a big corporation that invests for these credits, they want an agreement that you won't sell it for five years. So they don't have to deal with the complication of a hassle of, of that. So you really, when you get into these things, you should start thinking about um, owning them for five years. Got it. So is there any other restrictions? Yes, there are. Um, and it would definitely be uh, something that if somebody wants to learn more about, you know, maybe we can provide some uh, pointing to some of the uh, tax code and some of the things that, that you work on. What you need to know is get really familiar with what qualified expenditures are, what will count, what won't count. And you also need to know how to work with the, um, you know, the Historic Preservation Society uh, and whoever is running the individual uh, credit, uh, historic tax credit programs in your state. So it's very important to work hand in hand with them. And it is a, you know, it is a process that requires significant due diligence. And I will caution anybody that thinks about this. There are tremendous benefits to it, but there is significant due diligence and you should have your eyes wide open before you go into it. Got it. Got it. So would you share any of challenging experiences uh, on any of your investing so far? Challenging experiences? Yeah. Oh, boy, they're all challenging. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for my wife and me, we spent a long time in corporate America and a long time uh, working and saving to kind of make this leap. And then when you turn that that faucet of income off and you go to zero or actually negative in a day with employees and, and payroll and all these other things, I think it's uh, it, it makes you a new person, you know, and it makes you really have to face a lot of 
the control you feel like you had in your life and maybe some <laughs> addiction to security or whatever else. I will tell you, Rama, when I started, I at the end of the first week after the excitement kind of wore off, I, I probably had a panic attack. You know, there was a week there where I was suffering to even function because I was so nervous and scared about now not having a paycheck or anything like that. So, you know, I... I don't find the challenges of deals to be overwhelming in general, but I do sometimes find the day-to-day, just the rigorous nature of having to create something every day from nothing to be somewhat psychologically challenging, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah. And would you also share any of, you know, your best experiences from investing side? Yeah, I think that most of my best experiences come from partners. You know, uh, there's a really common refrain out there that says, don't partner, do things yourself. Partners are problematic. And, and, and you know, I, I think that that can be true. And you have to work really hard to find partners that are symbiotic in thinking and also are complementary in their skills. But most of my best and most fun experiences have been with partners where, you know, the value that they add to our business and to just life and, and, and having fun in this and, and things of that nature is um, I tell people that you need to work really hard until you find good partners, whether that's business partners or limited partners in your investments or even co-GPs or whatever that may be. I think it's really important to find people who think symbiotic with you and can fill in gaps where you may have weaknesses. Um, you know, I, the one thing I found, Rama, and this is I don't have that many strengths. I've got a few strengths, but I, I need a lot of people around me to fill in all my weaknesses. So I just really encourage people to work really hard to find great partners. Great, great. Yep. Thank you. So, and what, what, what are you currently, what is your current focus and share your excited about now? Things I'm excited about? Yeah. Well, we have so many things that we're doing that we're excited about. Um, you know, I mentioned where I'm, I'm starting this this business in the post-frame building industry, which I think is really fun. We just signed contract for um, this boutique resort that we're going to be building in Belize, which I, you know, we've been in Belize for a long time. We've done four small developments down there, and this will be a, a bigger development and, and really ground up tailor-made for exactly what we think will work. Um, really excited about that. Um, I'm extremely thrilled to be partnering with this robotics company that we're uh, partnered with to help them grow and raise the money that they need. That, that to me is an opportunity that is just mind-blowing, mind-blowing upside with this one. So it, all in all, I think that I'm excited about those things from a, a deal standpoint. But at the end of the day, I think what really lights me on fire is just really awakening people's aspirations. And, and that's that's actually our, our vision statement. And it's not fluff. It's real. Awakening the aspiration of the individual. And, you know, my partner and I were just talking about how we've had multiple conversations and multiple people that have taken significant steps in their life to do much bigger things, much bigger deals, uh, really try to affect and change people's lives. And, and I think that, you know, through all the struggle and sometimes the anxiety of running your own business and running your own firm, I think the ability to really impact people is what is the most exciting to me, Rama. Yeah, great, right. Any one advice that you have received uh, have major impact on you? Um, you know, I think that it's really tempting to try to predict the future, whether it's with interest rates and, um, you know, market cycles and um, it's really easy to look out and predict a recession. And I'm around some really smart people that, um, you know, they, they offer a lot of warnings and there's nothing wrong with that. It's good to be, um, it's good to be thoughtful about these things, but 
I view it a little bit different. I don't think you can sit around waiting for a crash all the time. I think you always have to be taking action. And that doesn't always mean buying deals, but it does mean rigor. It does mean underwriting constantly. It does mean looking and searching and calling and, and making connections. So I think one thing that has really changed for me is I stopped being so cynical and so pessimistic about the economy all the time and about market cycles. And I started trying to just prepare. Don't predict, prepare. And if you can prepare for market cycles, and if you can really think about investments that are all weather per se, you know, maybe some counter cyclical investments, farm ground, stuff like that. Precious metals. I love precious metals. If you can really spend your time preparing rather than predicting, I think it's a much more healthy mindset to be in. And I think it's just more instructive and productive. So I think prepare, don't predict is probably some of the advice that I've received and been pounded into my own thick skull that has really helped me. Yeah, and then that's really good, good advice. Good advice. And uh, any books that impacted your life and what way? Yeah, the Bible for sure. Um, so I read the Bible every day. I read Proverbs every day and usually um, one of the Gospels. Um, and it has affected my life more than every other book combined. So I would definitely say that, um, you know, that's where that's where I would tell people to start. Um, and then I think there are some other books that have affected me. Um, the four hour work week affected me. And I'm careful who I tell that to, because I don't actually agree with some of the um, some of the conclusions from it. But I do agree with the idea of maximizing your time and your talent and uh, utilizing help for many of the other things that maybe aren't the best use of your time. Um, and then just understanding the 80-20 principle. There's a couple of different books that are fantastic there. It's really trying to spend uh, time on the things that you know are 80% most effective. And um it's a fractal thing as well. So really just dialing into those things that get things done. And then I think, and this was, this is common, but the one thing by Gary Keller, um, if you can come up with something every day, that's very important to get done. And it's the thing that you probably dread doing, but if you can get that one or two things done every single day, you will make more progress over time than you ever thought imaginable. So there's a, a few ones, a few there for you, Rama. Yep. Got it. Yep. Great books. And any, any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Daily habits? Yep. I would say prayer is the first one. Um, I find that my day is completely thrown off if I don't spend some time with the Lord first and foremost. Um, other than that, it's all physical exercise for me that's a daily habit. Um, even just spending 30 minutes working out or running, jogging, um, exercising is really good for my mental health. Uh, and so I think I think those two things, prayer and certainly um, exercising, I'm trying to get outside, spend a little time getting some vitamin D. Not always the easiest thing in the world living in Peoria, Illinois, but when I do it, it certainly helps. <laughs> yeah, yep. So and how are you giving back to community? So actually, we do that in a formal way through UR. Um, UR Well is our uh, philanthropic arm, and we donate 20% of our net income to um, charitable or missional causes. Uh, you know, and that's something that we hope to grow over time. I'd love to see that number get up to 50%, but we're not there yet. You know, we're a new business in a formal sense. We've been doing deals for a long time, but this business is about a year old. So, you know, cash flow is still tough. Um, but you are well is the formal way. Um, and then beyond that, you know, I've always tried to spend time donating my time to church or other philanthropic efforts. Um, but, you know, I'm continually convicted by this idea that it's relatively easy for me to give money and um, I'm in the habit of doing that. But the thing that's much harder for me to give is my time. And that's something that 
honestly, I would like listeners and our investors and other people to help hold me accountable to is just giving back to the community and giving back to, you know, charities and missions um, on a more regular and consistent basis with my time. I'd say it's a weakness of mine right now. Got it. So how can listeners can connect with you, Isaac? Yeah, they can connect with me uh, through our website, a people brand slash investor.com. Uh, or uh, through Twitter. I'm on Twitter, Isaac C. Bennett. Um, you can also email me, Isaac at apeoplebrand.com. That's I-S-A-A-C at apeoplebrand.com. Um, and also, you would be happy to put my phone number in the show notes, Rama, if you'd like. No problem at all. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 309-294-4760. Okay. Sure. Uh, thank you, Isaac. I really enjoyed the conversation. And thanks for adding value to the show. Thanks, Rama, for having me on. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Thank you.